And God's people said, Amen. Said, Amen. There is a hypocritical story that I related many years ago about a Texan had a ranch, struck oil, became a multi-billionaire, bought all the land that adjoined him virtually, and he was quite a character. He was married, had one daughter, he built a swimming pool, two acres in size, shaped like the state of Texas. He had a daughter he delighted in, sent her to a finishing school in the East. She stayed and got an education in the East, very protected, came back home, going to celebrate her 22nd birthday, and her dad, in his extravagant, over-the-top Texas way, wanted to have a party unprecedented, so he invited everybody in about three or four counties to come, and they came. Gigantic barbecue with all the trimmings, all walks of life gathered around that vast swimming pool. And after they had eaten and some were looking at the pool and noticed that it was full of some alligators and crocodiles and piranha and sharks and various types of octopus, octopi, octopuses, which is right. I looked it up. Anybody know for sure? Don't guess. Octopi or octopuses? Anybody know for sure? Octopi? You're sure? How sure are you? <laughs> but it was a mess in that pool, and so the farmer, the rancher, the old man got up and welcomed everybody to the biggest barbecue in history, celebrating the birthday of his daughter, and he said, I want to make an offer today. He said, I want to give anybody 500 acres of my land or the hand of my daughter in marriage if you'll jump in the pool and swim from one end of this pool to the other. And immediately, a young guy, bam, hit the water, he started to swim, and boy, you could see the sharks, the alligators, the crocodiles, the snakes, the octopi, uh, you know, as he was swimming across the pool until finally he got to the other side and they helped him out of the water. He was bitten and bleeding and they ministered to him a little bit and the, the guy got up with the microphone. He said, son, that was something. He said, do you want 500 acres of my land? He said, no, sir. He said, oh, you're not only brave, but you are wise. You want the hand of my daughter. You know one day you'll get all of this. He said, no, sir. He said, well, what do you want? He said, I want the name of that man that pushed me in that pool. <laughs> 
we can all identify with that because different times in our life we have been pushed into something and we've gotten in way over our heads. We've been bitten, gnawed on, spit out, kicked out. And sometimes we've got in over our head because we've made poor choices, have we not? We've made wrong decisions at strategic times. And therefore, we're a lot like the guy we've been studying, David. We studied one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight chapters. And we've seen how David was praising God, crying out to God, fearful, beaten, chewed up, pursued. And we've seen how he expressed this in, in emotion and prayer and praise. And now we come to the ninth chapter and it is a pure chapter of nothing but praise. Did you notice in the music today, the theme was praise? Did anybody pick up on that? The ninth chapter is nothing but pure, unadulterated praise to God. Now, let me begin with a little footnote here. Have you ever wondered why God asked for our praise? He asked for our worship. He asked for our adoration. And you might wonder, what kind of God is this? Is he like some people we know who love those subtle brags? You know, tell me. Uh, how good I did, tell me how fine I did, tell me the great decisions I made. Is God like that? Does God need our applause, our praise, our adoration? What's wrong with God? People like that who are always telling you humbly what they've done by God's power. Is our God lacking something? Why does he need from human beings this kind of praise, this kind of worship? And so we think about this and look at it closely and the answer is really quite clear. We praise and applaud that which we enjoy and that which we honor and that which we love, do we not? You're at a football game and a touchdown's there and you slap somebody and say, did you see that pass? Or we see our wife or our husband and we see, boy, what a thrill it is to have this kind of love relationship with somebody like that. We overflow with praise things that we enjoy, things that we love, things that we appreciate, things that we honor. And so God knows that if we praise him, if we genuinely worship him with all that we have, that lets him know as it lets us know that the Lord God Almighty has highest priority in our life. Many of us said this here on Easter Sunday, 
We decided to let him be Lord, commander in chief. And because of that, and because we get our blessings, our meaning, our significance, our guidance in life from God, we have to praise him. We, we cannot keep from praising him. There's an overflowing of worship and awe and thanksgiving to God. It's not that God needs it. It is when we praise him, he knows that's my son, that's my daughter, who now is getting it right. You see? Therefore, we come to Psalm chapter number nine, a whole chapter of exorbitant, beautiful praise, so we will learn how to praise. He starts off, he says, I will give thanks, praise to the Lord with all my heart. That is passionate praise. Has anybody seen any passionate praise today? If you looked at some of these kids down here, oh yeah, they weren't in show business. No, no, no. They're kids and, and they were just praising God in worship. Something, wasn't it? With all of our hearts. And I will tell of all of your wonder. It means we praise him with our hearts inside. It overflows to our lips. And we tell of his wonder. And the word wonder there is one of those pregnant Hebrew words. It has to do with the wonder of his creation and the wonder of our redemption, of our salvation, that you and I can be in relationship with him. It's all built into wonder. Wonder, redemption and creation. And we are in the redemption business, all of us who are in Christ. That's a part of our calling. Did you... Uh, Hear the story this week about the Lake of Pines somewhere around Longview, I believe. Did you see, did you see that story? Amazing story. Two men were fishing, and as they were fishing, they noticed something bright sticking out of the water, and they went over to it, and there was an automobile submerged 40 feet from the dock in the lake, and it was a little bit was sticking up. And they went and looked in and they saw it was a, a Jeep and they called 911. Patrolman came, he couldn't get the, the car out of the lake and they called a wrecker service and the wrecker service came and they put one of those big lynches, what do you call it? Winch right down there and they pulled that Jeep out of the lake and they looked inside and there was a woman alive inside the car. Just happened this last week, folks. And, and they pulled it out, they got her out and they discovered a couple of days before she'd been reporting missing. Evidently she was going down the highway and came to a, a steep curve and she missed the curve and went over and hit the dock and went down to the bottom of the lake. And the last report, she was doing fine. It's a miraculous thing. What if those two guys had not been fishing there? She'd have died, right? Do we really believe that those away from God, away from Christ, 
are dead in their trespasses and dead in their sin? Do we really believe that basic biblical truth, that doctrine there? If we did, we'd fish more. We'd be fishers for men and women. We'd be bolder. And that is a part of the wonder that is here. The wonder when we speak with our lips that which we know and that which we've experienced. And then we see the rest of this wonderful anthem of praise here. It says, I will tell of all your wonder with our bodies, and I'll be glad and exalt in you, that's all of us, I'll sing praise to your name, O Most High. We will sing. You know, I, I talk to, I won't call any names, but you know, a few months ago, remember we had Texas Day and we sang, you know, Deep in the Heart of Texas. Remember that? And I, I saw a guy, I had mentioned to him, I, I noticed you don't sing in church. He said, I don't sing. But I saw him singing uh, loud and clear. And I said, where are you when we sing Amazing Grace? If I can sing Deep in the Heart of Texas, I can sure sing the great hymns of the church as an act of praise, an act of worship. Well, I got a bad voice, that's all right. Join the rest of us. So he is saying here, as we praise, we praise with our hearts, that's passionate praise, isn't it? We praise with our lips, with our worship, that's the wonder of our praise. And then we praise with our voices. All of this is wrapped up in glorious praise to the Lord, thanksgiving to him. And I don't know about you, I need to learn more how to praise. I, I'm a little reticent. You see, praise can be show business. Praise can just overflow. If it overflows, we praise him. Remember David, he was bringing back the ark. He got so excited about the presence of God coming back into the center of his nation. And he was dancing wildly in the streets and his wife was totally embarrassed by the praise, the, the spontaneous praise of David. So we have to sort of keep it in bounds, but our problem, ladies and gentlemen, is we do not praise like we should. I want everybody to lift your hands right straight over your head. Well, it's hard for some. <laughs> it doesn't mean we become such an overwhelming church that we get in show business, but it does mean we have within us a spontaneous desire to say, Lord, I thank you, I praise you, I honor you with my life. You got it? That's the body of Christ. We need to grow up in that wisely, intelligently, where we just have to express to God. We, we have to let him know that we love him, we appreciate him, and give praise to him. So that's the first part, verses one through two of this chapter of praise. But then you've got verse three through verse eight, and it says, Lord, I, I praise you, I thank you, and look what it's about. When my enemies turn back and they stumble and perish before you, O Lord, verse four, for you have maintained my cause, 
you have set on the throne judging righteously. The first thing this whole section says, you are our righteous judge. First thing we thank God, he is a righteous judge. What if he were a capricious judge? What if he were a political judge? What if he judged one group like this, somebody else like that? What if there was an agenda in his judging? We want our judges to be blind. I want you to look at the scales of justice up here. We want to be like this lady over here, do we not? Blind, equally under the law. This person over here is either a Republican or a Democrat or has been bought and sold by some big legal organization because she's not judging according to the law, right? Now folks, there's a lot of dangerous things happening in our land, but there are a few things that are more dangerous than you have courts presided over by judges who judge according to bias, according to money, according to politics, according to any other thing, rather than interpreting the law even handedly, regardless of who enters that room. Now, it is frightening to see anything other than that taking place. We want blind, objective, honest judgment. And if we become a nation that is not under the law, it's just a matter of time before we're gone and we're running down that trail right now. Right now. So we praise him because you are our righteous judge. God is righteous. What does the word righteous mean? It's a big old, you know, Sunday morning King James Version word, righteous. Righteous means to be right wise. In other words, God is righteous as he judges us and as we judge, because ladies and gentlemen, we're all in the judgment business. Well, you say, oh, the Bible says judge not, it be not judge, but read the rest of it. It says, as we judge, we will be judged. We judge, we make decisions every single day about almost anything and anybody, all of us here. But the only condition is, as I judge you, that's the standards by which our righteous judge God will judge me. So be careful in our pontificating and our judgment, right? Does that kind of slow you down a little bit? Don't pick up the first stone if you've never sinned? Hmm. So we thank God that he is a righteous judge and we pray for wisdom so in the decisions and choices we make, it will be based on God's wisdom and God's righteousness. These are tremendous principles. This is why we can praise him. He's a righteous judge. Verse five, you have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Look up here in verse three. He says, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. When he knows when this happens in the future, he will judge like this. Then he says, verse four, 
for you have maintained my cause and, and have settled the throne judging righteously. He knows in the past, this is how God has operated. What these verses do, we see how God's gonna operate in the future. We see how God has operated on the past. He's always been a righteous judge. In verse six, the enemy has come in an end to perpetual ruins and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. Did you get that? He's uprooted the cities. I looked up yesterday. How many major cities, large cities of the world have moved into oblivion? They no longer exist. A long list. You think that'll happen again? We learn from history, our history teaches us yet again. Couple of things. I thought about blotting out their names. Those in the news business need to do one thing that will help when we have those horrific demonic shootings that we're seeing all too often. Never tell anybody the name of the perpetrator who has done this. That name should be blotted out. We don't want to know anything about their family or their background. And if the news media would do this, that would be a little thing that would help us in these horrific moments. The copycat thing for those who are already twisted on drugs or already mad or upset is a deadly thing. Now, if one news media decides not to do that, they won't have as high a rating as the others because we have that purian interest. Tell me all the bad, tell me the rest. Let me tell you something. If they want to do something really positive about that, that's exactly what must be done. Blot out those names. They'll never be famous, but at least I'll be infamous. That's a lot of the mentality. And everybody who can read and write and think a minute knows that. Blot out those names. And the cities, the cities. Let me tell you something. Chicago, will move into oblivion unless there is a radical change. You can write that down, that's not prophecy, that's just based on reality. It's going to happen, it is happening. It has happened all the way through history. Read about some of the giant cities of yesterday. What happened to them? When justice was not there, when morality was not there, when there was not a sense of support, a sense of community, those cities will destroy themselves. Where are we today in Houston? I said a few months ago that those who are leading us, we ought to throw the bums out. The tragic things, most of the bums are still in office and we've already voted. And the other side of the coin I discovered out of our now 90,000 members of this second family, about a fourth of them are not even registered to vote and they name the name of Jesus and a part of this family. What's that picture about, ladies and gentlemen? Today we have, I checked yesterday, don't hold me to the exact numbers, we have 138,000 felons who are on the streets who are waiting to be tried. We have over 800 
who already have all the credentials to convict them of murder, they're either in jail or they're running around on bombs over 800. Listen, this city, this county, these counties will not stand in this kind of criminality that all of us are now living in the middle of. Do you get it? You take this Psalm chapter nine saying the cities are being destroyed. Let me tell you something, you could take this and put it in any media news thing and you'd say, that's right, that's right, that's right. Way back here, God's word is truth and you can apply it in any day, in any time, in any hour, and you'll see that it is the truth. And sometimes it's tragic and it's frightening. And there must be an awakening. Or you can take all these cities, New York included, and say, what happened to them? What happened is the natural result of sowing and bringing in the harvest. You sow garbage, what are you gonna get back? Garbage. And that's where we are in America today, and we'd better be a part of the answer and not a part of the problem, those who are in Christ. We are the only hope God has in this world, and we better learn how to praise him vociferously and be bold in what we do and where we stand and what we believe. We praise him because you are a righteous judge. The very memory of them has perished, these cities. The Lord abides forever. He's established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. That must happen. That's our role. That's the role of every judge who sits with those robes. And a lot of this is a matter of just being conscientious. A lot is a matter of those elected just showing up. Just showing up. The next thing we praise him about, look at it. Verse nine, the Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. David is saying, we praise him. You are our righteous judge. We praise him because you are our stronghold. In other words, he protects, he embraces, he covers us up, he hides us. The figure here is under his wings in other parts of the Bible. He said, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. By the way, the phrase, those who seek you, is used 165 times in the Bible. For those who seek the Lord, this is the reward. We praise him for this. He says, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds. For he who requires blood remembers them. In other words, those who take the blood of people, there will be God will deal with them. He remembers them. They'll not get away with it. And he says, he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. So what do we praise him for? You are our righteous judge. Let's say praise God. 
You are our stronghold. Praise God. And then he says, you answer our prayers. That's the rest of the chapter. Oh, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I will tell of your what? Praises. That is the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. Big thing right there. We pray. What happens when we pray? Let me bring it down where nobody will miss it. You know Kenny Rogers, the gambler? I know none of you have ever heard that song. I played poker a little bit in college, not for money, had none to bet. But I played poker. I can remember something about a full house, and et cetera, full of a kind, five cards, just generally. But Kenny Rogers' song is what we're able to live out in practice. No one to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away, no one to run. Not going too fast for anybody in the balcony, am I? When we pray, we know when to hold them. Not talking about poker. I'm talking about when we stay with it. We stay in there. God tells us. You don't change. You don't blink. Know when to hold your place consistently. And then know when to fold them. This is not where I should be. This is not working. This, this relationship, this, this business venture, this way which you're, know when to fold them. You just start over, redeal. You got it? Wouldn't it be good if God told us when to hang in there, stay with it, be patient? And then he told us, well, sometimes you just got to fold them and go another direction, have a new day, a new deal, right? Wouldn't it be good if we prayed and God tells us that? David says he will, and he does his children and know when to walk away. Yeah. You get in a situation that the best thing you can do, just turn and, and walk away. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just, just, just walk away. But sometimes you run. You read about sexuality in the Bible and God says very clearly to Timothy, you walk away from sexual temptation. And he says very clearly to Joseph, who practiced it when Miss Egypt presented herself to him, he ran. So whatever the situation, sometimes we walk away without a big to-do in whatever the thing may be as God leads. See, God is leading in all of this. This is through prayer. He answers our prayers. We praise him for that. He answers prayer. D minus. He answers prayer. We're learning how to do it. And then look at the rest of this prayer that he offers. It's powerful. He says, verse 15, the nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made in the net which they hid from their own foot has been caught. Who? 
the Lord has made known to them. He has executed judgment in the work of his own hands. The wicked is snared. He is talking about here. He's talking about the nations. Cities under judgment of God when they're godless. Nations under the judgment of God, civilizations when they're godless. Read history, study history. You see all the events of what happened. Well, America, no, America is in deep, deep trouble. And we need some prophets. We need some prophets. You know, in biblical history, I thought about it. God has used strange people to speak his truth. Those that you expect to speak his truth have been silent or compromised or bought out. But God uses strange people to speak truth to nations. Uh, I, I like to watch cage fighting. I know some of you, oh, that's, a, well, I'm just, uh, forgive me for that. <laughs> and I didn't see this. This is, this is battling one-on-one -on -one with only a couple of things you can't do in order to wipe out your opponent. I'll tell you what it is. There was a cage fight, I did not see it. Took place in Miami. It was by a young man, a middleweight from Cuba, now moved to the United States, came out of communism. He's some kind of athlete. In this little clip you're gonna see, he just defeated one of the most prominent, prominent middleweights in the history of cage fighting. I mean, one of the real top, top ranked but this kid came and he just defeated him. And Joe Rogan sometimes lets them talk and it was a packed out crowd. I don't know how many thousands were there in Miami. And this guy who just got defeated put a band on that said John 3.16 and Rogan gave him the mic. Now remember how God speaks through unexpected people? Amos was a tender of sycamore trees. He plumbed trees. That's all he did. So God uses, so listen to this athlete, Cuban, cage fighter, after he won the biggest match of his life before thousands of people, they give him the mic. Listen to what he says. I want to say something. Maybe I, I'm trying English. She, she, so sorry, I know the people don't understand me, but I'm trying. Hey, hey USC, hey Miami, hey Florida. Listen people, listen, listen, listen. What happened to you, USA? What happened to you? What's going on, you forget for the, the best of the best of the world. The name is Jesus Christ. What happened to you? Wake up, USA. Wake up, USA. Joe Rogan reprimanded him. Said, we're here to announce fights and so forth, not to speak your religion. And they said, Joe, you've let Muslims speak their religion many times on the same platform. What's the matter with Jesus Christ? 
nations. Verse, verse number 17, the wicked will return to Sheol, that's where God is not. Even all the nations who forget God, for the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. And then he ends up and says, Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail, let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord, let the nations know they are but men. Clear statement of humanism and secularism is found Harvard University, 1905, they built a school of philosophy, Emerson School, and as they finished it, they had planned the architect to put on the doorway, man, man is the center of all things. But the president of Harvard at that time, President Eliot, in the summer, he did not let them put that up there. Instead, he put up there, and it's still there today. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Man, the center of all things, Pythagoras, or the word of God in our last chapter. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Man is a little lower in God, but we're not to run this thing, and that's the main problem in your life and in my life in America today. It's all centered on humanism and not centered on God. If it were centered on God, there would be more praise abroad, and we would be able to praise him that he is our righteous judge. We would praise him that he is our stronghold. He takes us in, whatever the circumstances. And we praise him, he answers our prayers. And we'd come out of the jungle, the woods of life, and turn ourselves and turn our nation over to him. My wife, Lisa, when she was four years old, she wanted to do something and her mother said she couldn't do it, and her dad said she couldn't do it. And she said, I'm gonna run away from home. I'm getting out of here. I've made up my mind, four years old. She went to her room, her mother and dad went with her and said, Lisa, you decided, yes. They said, we'll help you pack. True story. So she went and got her little suitcase, put on the bed. Her daddy said, well, Lisa, you're gonna need some shorts and tennis shoes. Yep. So put them in a the little suitcase. And they said, Lisa, wh wh where are you going to run away? I'm going to the woods. Well, into their street, they had a wooded area where the children, so I'm gonna live in the woods, okay. Well, and her mother said, let's pack your pajamas. Her dad said, no, no, no. She won't need pajamas because she had to sleep in her clothes in the woods. Okay. Oh, you need a blanket. Lisa, go get your, she got a little blanket, put it in the suitcase. Uh, Lisa, you, you're going to need a, your toothbrush, said her mother. Her dad said, oh, no. Said, in the woods, there's no water and there's no food. She wanted to brush her teeth. Good. And said, well, you're going to need your flashlight. 
Because, you know, it's going to get dark, and in the woods sometimes, you know, animals wonder, oh, she got a little flashlight, put in the suitcase. They said, well, that's about it, and closed the suitcase and handed it to her, and she's run away. She gets the suitcase. She starts out, and she turns around, and she said, you are so glad that I'm leaving. For that, I'm going to stay, and you got to look after me the rest of my life. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of us, folks. We don't want to live under God, His way. This righteous judge, the one who puts us in the stronghold, the one who answers our prayers, I want to make my own choices. I want to live on my own terms. Therefore, we, many of us even now, perhaps are in the woods of this world, in the woods of this world. I can do it. I'm going to make that choice. I know what's best for me. How God would have us to Come back to his house, wouldn't he? And live under his protection. And in this posture, you and I will learn more and more every day to praise the Lord. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord.